Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Let your heart hold Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Well, hello again. My goodness. Um, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, again, I would just tell you that Ryan, our lead pastor, is out in Oregon. And right now, I think he's actually preaching right now. And we can be praying for him and remembering him throughout this week. What a great privilege for him to be able to be out there at a conference and uh, be speaking every day. Uh, but he asked me a few weeks ago if I would take one of the sermons on Proverbs that he has been going through. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll take one. And, and he showed me a list of, of uh, topics. And uh, I chose the topic of words. Words. And, uh, you know, I thought, oh, words. There's probably plenty about words. And, you know, I, I didn't realize there was too much about words. And trying to figure out what you're going to preach on about words. Um, words. We use them all the time. Words. We depend on them. Words. They get us into trouble. Words. They, they help us out. Words. All types of things about words. Um, you know, it was just uh, a week ago. Actually, Monday. It was on my day off. Carrie and I were having a great day. We were, uh, we were up in the Conifer area. We had gone to a coffee shop and had a great time sitting there. And then, um, and then we went over. There was a Safeway across the way, so we were going to go over there and get a few things. So we walked in there, and right as we were walking in, <clears throat> I, I stepped on my wife's shoe. And, uh, and immediately there was this little statement, uh, please, don't step on my shoe. And I'm thinking, yeah, like I really meant that. Like this was an intentional act that I was doing. Um, and and what, what spilled out of my mouth, um, totally uncontrolled by me, was, um, well, please don't put your foot underneath my shoe. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I must admit we were on the way to the freezer section about that time. Um, you know, here we were 15 minutes before, we were sitting in a coffee shop, and honestly, I, this... No, no lie. This is not a pastoral illustration. This is true. I, I looked at her and I said, Carrie, I really love you. You know, it, it is so great having you for a wife. And Fifteen minutes later, hey, don't put your foot underneath my shoe. <laughs> there's a verse in Proverbs. Well, actually, there's lots of verses in Proverbs about words. In fact, if you look at any one of the chapters of Proverbs, you will see Probably half the verses deal with how we speak or words. But in Proverbs chapter 18, there's this verse. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk are going to reap the consequences. Oh, man. You know, and we've been saying all along, hey, these are Proverbs. They're not promises. These are principles. But I'll tell you, this one's pretty good. Um, I think this one's right on. They either bring life or they can bring death. Um, you know, and sometimes they don't have to be spoken. I was, I was reading about a couple. They were really having a tiff, and they were in the, the silent treatment. It had gone on for about two days, and whoever spoke first was really going to be the one to lose. So um, the husband's getting ready to go to bed, and he's, he's realizing, wow, I've got an early flight tomorrow morning. 
She always wakes me up. Um, so he said, he took a piece of paper and he wrote out, please wake me at 5 a.m. I have an early flight. And he put it down on her bedside stand. And he went to bed. He woke up the next morning at 9 a.m. And he was, he was furious. He said, oh, I missed my flight. And he's getting ready to go find his wife. And he looks down and on his bedside stand, there's a piece of paper. And he picks it up and said, it's 5 a.m. Wake up. Anyway, we can get in trouble with our words. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk are going to reap the consequences. Um, you know, like I said, there's just lots and lots of things about words. I, I just want to back up into Proverbs 18, just in this one chapter. And I'll show you, there's, there's 11 verses out of the 23 that talk about words. And if you go through Proverbs chapter by chapter by chapter, you're going to find the same thing. Now, these are probably kind of small, but I'll just read them. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions, especially when it comes to stepping on feet. Um, wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. That's a good verse. That's good. Um, fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They're asking for a beating. The mouths of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Now, that's just five of the verses out of uh, Proverbs 18 that deal with words. And if I were to rate them, you know, four of them are down, five, one's up. So one out of five is a positive verse about words. Um, let's go on through the rest of the chapter. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. Boy, talk about a great word. I love singing this one. The godly run to him and are safe. Um, Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. The first to speak in court sounds right until cross-examination begins. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. You know, that verse grabs me because last week in our, in our um, prayer list, one of you, and, and they, you did this anonymously, but you asked us to pray, and you said, wow, my, my neighbor really offended me, and I'm trying to figure out how do I approach him. Um, wow, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. If I rate these, hey, it's about 50-50 on this group, three and three, three up, three down. Uh, but when you add those all together for Proverbs 18, you got seven verses that are kind of negative on the talking, four verses that are kind of positive on the talking. And then it brings you to this verse, the tongue can bring death or life. Death or life. Um, I like how Eugene Peterson in the message kind of puts this. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose. Wow. So that's what we're going to try to look at today. And it's a problem. It's a problem, I'm going to say, with all of us, our words, how we can build somebody up and in just a brief moment of time, we can tear them totally down. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not in your life. We know that it, they're, they're desperate. How do we come to to grips with this whole issue. I mean, how, how do we get to this where our words are either bringing life or bringing death? Um, well, I think we've got to go back, way back to the beginning, way back to the beginning, to the, to the, really to the words of life. 
Um, what better words of life are there than uh, let there be light? You know, those, those created words when, when God spoke and he said, hey, let's fill this earth. Let, let's fill the sky with birds. Let there be birds. Let, let's, let's fill the water with fish. Let there be fish to fill the waters. Let's, let's fill the land with animals to, to prance across this, this, this land. Uh, let's create life. And then, and then in chapter, or verse 26 of chapter 1, God says, let us make human beings, let us make mankind in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish, over the birds, over the animals. And you know, the very next verse says, so God created mankind uh, in his image, male and female, both in his image. The words of life in a very real way. Um, those were the words that were first recorded in our history, and, and God is using words to communicate his truths, and I tell you, they were words of life. And then we heard his words of life. The very next verse, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish, the birds, and all the animals. Okay. Words of life. Uh, just a few observations about Genesis chapter 1 and about this interaction. Um, First off, he's God and we're created. God is God and we are his created beings. And that may not strike you so much, but to tell you the truth, it gives me tons of hope to realize that I'm not just a random assortment of cells that kind of came together in a chaotic way. And I really don't have any destiny to even think about, but I have a God Almighty who pieced me together, and pieced me together for a purpose, and has a destiny for my life, and so does each one of you. You are not random collections. You are totally put together by God. And down throughout history, we see that. Uh, what an amazing creation, created world we live in. But we're even more amazing than the created world. His image is profoundly special. God said, let us make mankind in our image. Male and female, we're going to make them in our image. Each individual human is going to reflect something of, of God Almighty. And, and that's a challenge to me because that means as I interact with each one of you, as I talk to any of you, I need to remind myself and say, hey, there's the image of God in that person. That person has all the right, um, uh, they should have the worth to be, for me to be able to give them my time, to be able to see that God has created them, to be able to honor them in that way, to be able to talk to them, to be able to bring them words of life. We also observe his unique purpose for us is fully fulfilling, totally fulfilling. Uh, if I go back to that blessing, that he gave. He said, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish, the birds, the animals. Um, if we just take those things and break them down, be fruitful. That means to produce abundance with his creation. He has created all there is and he's giving it to us so that we can produce abundantly and it will take care of any need that we would have. He also says, fill the earth. And he means fill the earth with his image Fill the earth with us. Fill the earth with people. Um, 
And lastly, oversee it. Oversee it with the care he would give it. Okay, that's Genesis 1. And I stop there and I say, wow. You know, I've been working on this this week. We've had the privilege to be able to be up at Neil and Ann Cresswell's house. We've had a ball. They live up in the foothills. And so this morning when I was driving down to church here, um, I came around the corner and wouldn't you know it, I saw this beautiful elk. He was just sitting there kind of chomping on a tree and had a huge rack. It was just gorgeous. And I, and I sat there and I said, wow, you are beautiful, but I'm made in God's image. Um, and, and because I'm made in his image, I have a responsibility to be able to take care of this creation. I have a responsibility to care for the animals. I have a responsibility to care for the fish and the birds. I have a responsibility to produce all of those things. It gives us value. It gives us what an amazing thing. And I, and I had to stop and ask the question, what if there had never been words of death? that entered into this world? What if right now, at this moment, we still lived in that Genesis 1 type of situation where words of life are just spoken to us? What if? Um, You know, it was a few weeks ago. Actually, it was a couple months ago. um, We were with our good friends, Dick and Shelly, and we were sitting out on their porch, and Dick and I were just looking up at the sky and seeing all the stars, seeing all the, the, you know, just the immensity of the universe. And we both started just asking, said, why in the world do you think God made something so immense, so huge? And, and then everything's kind of focused on this little place called Earth. And, and you know, the, the thought hit me. Well, I wonder what would have happened if death had never entered into the scene. When God says, be fruitful abundantly, fill, multiply. I wonder if he meant fill the universe. The earth would have been pretty crowded if everybody lived. I don't know. That's just an aside. Nothing theological about it. It just kind of strikes me. It kind of strikes me. Words of life. And what amazing thing God put there in Genesis 1. If we want to understand this war that we're in with our words, we've got to go back to Genesis 1. Of course we come to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we begin to see words of death. We begin to see those words that are put in there. Oh, this is just the message and prosper, reproduce, fill the earth. But if I go to Genesis chapter 3, did God really say that? Did God really tell you you can't eat that fruit? Uh, He started, you know, the the enemy comes and begins to put in those words of doubt. It becomes a new vocabulary for, for Adam and Eve who had not experienced these types of things before. Words of doubt. We have doubts all the time. Does the Bible really mean that? Are you kidding me? God's never gonna give up on me? He's he's always gonna love me? Are you kidding with the way I live my life? Yeah. Words of death creep in. Um, Oh, you're not going to die. I mean, God told him, stay away from that tree. If you you eat that tree, death's going to enter. The enemy says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. Denial. Denying God, denying his word, denying the principles, the truths that God gives us. And, and we find ourselves living in that denial many times. We are experiencing death every day. Death started 
in Genesis 3. Yes, Adam and Eve may not have died that day, but they started dying. And we're dying now. Um, You can be like God. And that's what the enemy said. He said, oh, the reason he doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because he'll know you'll become like him. You can be like God. Um, Words of idolatry, words of putting ourselves in that way, words of death in contrast to words of life. Words of death contrasting with words of life. And we find ourselves in this, this juxtaposition, this war now with our words, this battle with our statements. Um... You know, I've been faced with this thing of words of death. I've been thinking about, as I've been working on this message, what it would be like if if everything had just been like Genesis 1. But I know that, no, everything's tainted with Genesis 3. We had Patrice Walker's funeral. A sweet, wonderful woman. And she died. I sat by Bill Clibby's bed in his emaciated body. And he passed away. And now we're going to have his service on Wednesday. We're living in the results of these words of death. Um, Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose. Boy, is there any help? I mean, we, we struggle with this thing. Um, You know, one of the dangers of preaching a sermon is when you ask God for an illustration. Um, I hope none of you have to face this. But uh, um, I I was sitting there wrestling with this, and I said, yeah, God, I could really use a good good personal illustration. And I was kind of expecting something from way back, you know, that you might bring to my mind. Uh, No, something from, that just happened like a week ago. Um, and I was sitting in the office, and everything was going fine. It was kind of a busy day. I was kind of tired. And then I got this thought, wow, wouldn't it be neat if I um, went to the store, and I'll just get a meal together. And I'll get a meal together for Carrie. We can cook it, and yeah, she won't have to worry about it. So I went to the store. I was all set. I, I got some steaks. I, uh, I went to the store. I got some baked potatoes. And I, I got a bottle of wine. I uh, got one of those bags of salad. Okay. It's a guy. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I get all those things, and I'm getting kind of excited. Wow, we're going to have a great meal. We're going to have a great evening. Who knows where this could go? So I, I go home, and I go walking in, and there's Carrie sitting on the couch, and she's eating a salad. I go, whoa, eating a salad, huh? She said, yeah, it was a long day, and I didn't have a chance for, for lunch, and so I just thought I'd grab a quick salad, but, but, you know, we can have supper. And I said, well, I did get some things for supper. Oh, well, that's very nice. Yeah, we can have supper in a little while. I said, okay, okay, a little while. Well, a little while, you know, an hour later, and then, and then two hours later, and then two and a half hours later. And, and my stomach's grumbling by this time. Um, and so finally I get up and I said, hey, I'm going to start the grill. And Carrie's reading a book. And um, I go out and I start the grill. I come back in. Carrie's still reading the book. I said, hey, I, I'm going to go out and put the steaks on. She's reading the book. I go, put the steaks on. Come back. Hmm. Um, so then I, I pick up the potatoes, and I go walk into the, the microwave. Again, it's a guy thing. Um, I go walk into the microwave, and Carrie goes, oh, you're, you're going to make put the potatoes in. I said, yeah, somebody has to do it. <laughs> she goes, oh. And, and then I saw her. She put her, put her book down, and she said, um, uh, I'll, I'll make the salad. I said, well, that's very nice of you. 
That's, that's good. And I, and I went out. I went out to the stakes. You know, so I'm out there working there. And I'm starting to think, ah, oh, that was stupid. I'm trying to do a nice thing. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to bring life into this situation. And I have to say that. So, um, so I went back in. And, and she's got the salad put together, and she's shaking up a, a can of uh, it's blue cheese dressing. She said, you like blue cheese, right? And I said, oh, yeah, I like blue cheese. And I watched this. She's shaking this really. I could tell she was kind of nervous. And all of a sudden, it just kind of went loose. It hit one of the wine glasses. It splintered all the glass all over the place. It, it cut her thumb. And I'm going, I said, good grief, Carrie. I immediately felt terrible, but I said, good grief, Carrie. And I was ticked. The whole plan went out the window. Uh, it took us 15 minutes. You know, we cleaned everything up. We got her thumb bandaged, uh, sat down to kind of overdone steak, <laughs> cold potatoes. The salad, salad was good. Um, <laughs> now, okay, so we're faced with that situation. My words, uh, you know, we could have probably come up with all kinds of techniques of, of trying to solve the problem with words, maybe some communication techniques. Um, I'll grab the, the blue cheese bottle, and as long as it's in my hand, I'm going to tell you what I want to say, and then I'll hand it to you, and I'll listen to you, and then you hand it back to me. Um, could have tried that. Conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. I could have, I could have picked up the other wine glass and... Um, I don't Behavior modification. Here. Here's the bag. Uh, you know, all of those things. Yeah. We could have done, except the Bible has something that's far more simple, uh, far more profound, and far tougher, and it has to do with something else. Uh, Luke chapter 6, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And I had to, you know, I have to admit, the rest of that evening, I'm I'm afraid it was kind of like the silent treatment, I'm afraid. I was frustrated. That's not the best. Um, What I say flows from what's in my heart. And I began to realize, you know, issues with words really show that there's issues in the heart. Uh, Maybe another way of putting it is a word transformation takes a heart transformation. Allowing God to work on our hearts. Um, What you say flows from what's in your heart. Well, that night I I went up to bed. Uh, And that's no no big thing. I mean, usually I go to bed earlier than Carrie. She's kind of a night hog. But I hadn't said all that much to her. Um, I went to bed, woke up in the morning and I felt like a real lug. Um, I did my usual thing, got up, put on my, put on my green fluffy bathrobe. <clears throat> That's a visual. Um, anyway, put that, walked downstairs, set, turned the coffee on, you know, made, made a pot of coffee, grabbed a, grabbed a mug of coffee, grabbed my Bible, went out onto the deck and, and sat on the deck and uh, just said, boy, God, you got to come through with something. I'm really miserable. Um, I don't know what went wrong last night, but can you, can you help me? I've been reading through the Psalms uh, all summer, and, and so I was at Psalm 73, 
It's very interesting how God has a way of doing that. I'm at Psalm 73, and I start reading it, you know, and, um, and it just says, truly God's good to Israel and to those whose hearts are pure. God is good to Israel. You know, I'm so glad we sang that song. Today. God is good, good, good to me. What, what a great song. That, in fact, the praise team did a super job. And uh, not to disappoint Larry, but I probably will not rap during this sermon. I might sing, but I may not rap. Um, but then it was the next verse uh, that began to catch me with the psalmist. He said, God is so good to Israel. But then he said, but I almost slipped. I almost lost my footing. And he had me. And I thought, I wonder how he lost his footing. And then he went on to say, because I was envious of the wicked. I was bothered by the evil people around me and how they, how they just had such wealth all the time. Um, here's a few of the verses. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. These fat cats have everything their heart could ever wish for. They boast against the very heavens. On and on. He's, he's just raking about these evil people, these wicked people. And then he said, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did, did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. And I'm sitting there saying, amen. You know, I'm, I'm trying to help people in their marriages, and I, I totally blow it in mine. What's wrong with this picture, God? And then I read the next verse. If I would really spoken this way to other people, I would have been a traitor to your people, God. And, and then I saw the psalmist saying, so, so I decided I was going to try to figure out why are the wicked so prosperous. And he said, you know what? I couldn't figure it out. Didn't make any sense to me. Didn't make any sense. But, but I love that thing, how he said, if I had said this stuff out loud, I would have really discouraged a lot of other people. So I thought I was just going to study it, but I couldn't study it. And then he says here, then I went into your sanctuary, O God. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. And, and he shared uh, with the next three verses how, how he came to understand that the wicked, um, their lives are very fleeting. Eternity's coming, and they're not going to be part of it. Um, all of that. And then this verse, verse 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. And I'm sitting there on the, on, on the porch in my green fluffy bathrobe saying, wow, that's me. My heart is bitter because I did not get my way. Now, granted, the psalmist is here and he's upset because of the wicked and how they prosper. You know, I was bothered because I didn't get my way the night before. I thought I was being such a nice husband. You know what? Carrie doesn't even like steak. So here I was, frustrated, feeling guilty. My heart was bitter. I was, I was all torn up inside. The psalmist goes on to say, I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, God. Kind of reminded me of the little elk I saw today. Um, my goodness. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You lead me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
There's nothing on earth I desire besides you, my health and my strength. Many times they fail. But there is one truth that always will prevail. God is the strength of my heart. God is the strength of my heart. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart. And that just came washing over me as I'm sitting there on the porch, realizing, Dan, yeah, you're, yes, you, you should be worried about last night. But you know what? Thinking about how could we have made it better? You need to go to God because he's the strength of your heart. You've been sitting here reading this psalm, and it's revealed to you the selfishness that was in your heart. And God is now asking you to clean it up. Um, I just share a few things that, that hit me. One was... I needed to pull myself into a sanctuary. Just like the psalmist did, I needed to go into a sanctuary. I needed to get away from all the riffraff around me. I needed to go into the sanctuary before him. And to tell you the truth, my sanctuary is, is wearing my green bathrobe on the porch and reading the psalms and singing. And I started to sing that song, even though it was six in the morning and all the neighbors are probably looking out the window. There's another visual. Um, but pulling yourself into the sanctuary. Where is the sanctuary that you have with God Almighty? Where is it that God wants to meet you and reveal to you what's actually behind the words that you say? Where he can reveal to you what's going on in your heart. That it's not other people causing you to say these things. It's not situations that surround you that result in these words you're saying. It's your heart that's spilling out in your words. And God wants, to, he's saying to you, I'm the strength that's going to help you cleanse that so that you can say words of life over and over. Um, and then take an honest look at God. Take an honest look at God. Um, the psalmist says, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You are leading me in a glorious destiny. Boy, those are words we should be saying to ourselves. He, he holds our right hand and he leads us. He has a destiny for us. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. Regardless of what the words of death may say, trying to doubt those words, we need to fill ourselves. Um, we're still left with this dilemma. Words kill Words give life. They're either, either poison or they're fruit. You choose. And the choice is up to you. Are you going to give words of life or words of death? Um, I was trying to figure out, you know, Ryan always says, where are we going to land the plane? Um, I'll say, where are we going to park the bus? Where, where, where are we going to bring this to an end? And there's a question I want you to ask yourselves. Who do you talk to the most? Who is it that you talk to the most? Down there on your notes, I've got a little list. You, know, you, can, you can write down some names if you want. Um, while you're thinking about that, I will serenade you. Not with a rap, but God is the strength of my heart. God is the strength of your heart. God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. God is the strength. Okay, I wonder if you got any names. I'm going to suggest a name to each one of you, um, not, not because I'm so wise or anything else, but I'm just going to suggest a name that the person that you talk to the most is yourself. 
It's you. And I'm wondering, what words do you say to yourself? What words over and over do you say? Do you say words of life? Do you say words like, wow, God is with me. He is holding me by my right hand. Or do you say, I can't imagine God wanting to be with me. Do you say, God loves me? Or do you say, I just haven't done enough for him. Do you say words of life to yourself? Or do you say words of death? There's a great series of verses in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that a light would be turned on to your heart. And that, that as that light shines in the depths of your heart, I pray that you would know the hope to which he's called you. I pray that you would know the riches of his inheritance that you have. I pray that you would know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Those are words we should be speaking to ourselves. Those are words that should, should fill our hearts and our hearts should be enlightened. And I will tell you that as those words fill our lives and our hearts, they're going to spill out to other people around us. I believe very much God wants us to go back to Genesis 1. He intended for us to live in words of life. He intended us for, to be productively, abundantly. He, he intended us to be able to reach out with his image. And now he calls us to say, would you wake up to that? Yes, death has entered the system, but that's not the final chapter. You know, there's something I was kind of interested in. And um, the times when Jesus got angry. And, and I think we probably all remember, Jesus got angry when he went into the temple. And he overturned the money changers' tables. And yes, he got angry there. But there was another place where Jesus got angry. It doesn't talk a lot about his anger. But um, when Jesus was going to the, friend of a grave, uh, to the grave of a friend of his, it says he was very angry. He had also just wept. It was for Lazarus. And, and you can read this in John chapter 11. But he was going to Lazarus' grave and it says he was angry. And I envision he was angry because, because of death. Because when he created this world, he didn't create it for death. He created it for life. And then he comes back to this world where death is so rampant. And he brings his life into this world again. And he calls us to walk with him in words of life. And to be instruments of life. To be people carrying his image to others around us. I think one of the greatest words of life that we have are those words that Jesus himself said. When he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And in saying that, he said, it's broken for you so that you can have bodies that are whole and you can live lives that are full. And he said, this is my, this cup is, is my blood that is shed for you. And it represents the new agreement, the new covenant that we have. As we come to this table today, the communion table, I ask you to come and drink in those words of life. 
I ask as you come, realize that God says to you, I love you. I love you and I created you for purpose. I ask you when you come to this table, come willing to open yourself up and realize that he holds you by, his, by your right hand and he has a destiny for you and he wants to lead you into that destiny. Don't allow the words of death to stop this table. But allow the words of life to bring you the freedom that he has for you. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. And as we do, I'm going to ask the folks to be able to go to the tables. Lord, I thank you so much that, uh, that you are God. I thank you so much that you created such a beautiful world. And Father, even though we live in the midst of a broken world now, you stepped into it with your life again and you want to bring us through so that we can bring life to other people. What an amazing God you are. Lord, as we come to your table, remind us of you. Remind us of your words of life. May the words we hear in our hearts be you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so I invite you to come to these tables. Come to the table that's nearest you, which